Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked on Spartans. It is Thursday, June 27th, 2019. I'm your host, Will Hunter. Uh, on today's show, we have a couple things uh, I think you're going to enjoy. Well, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. I need to work on my salesmanship, apparently. Uh, later in the show, Sam Mullen, a listener of the show, is going to join and we're going to do some superlatives. Uh, and depending on how the first segment goes, that may be segments two and three. I guess we'll have to just play that by ear, see how that goes. But a fun conversation with him. I think it's the second uh, one to air of these. And then I'm knocking out uh, a couple next week. And then, you know, we'll go to uh, air with them beginning of July, mid-July, somewhere in there. So continuing on with our listeners joining the show theme here this summer. Reminder, if you want to join the show Send me an email, LockedOnSpartans at gmail.com. Send me a DM on Twitter at Will underscore underscore Hunter, 1L2 underscores. Uh, and just tell me what you want to talk about. Pitch me a segment, 10 minutes, what you would talk about if you were co-hosting a segment. Uh, we'll fine point uh, the uh, the idea, trim it down usually a little bit, make it uh, a little bit more palatable for the podcast medium. Uh, and then we'll schedule a time and get you on the show. So definitely do that if that's something that interests you. Uh, also on the show, we're going to talk about the NCAA and their decision regarding uh, transfers, making it tougher on players to transfer. Uh, I have some thoughts about that. Uh, they won't be very positive for the NCAA, but I have some thoughts uh, on that. So we'll do that here off the jump. Uh, reminder, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is the easiest way to get these episodes on your device, on your phone every single day. And especially here as we slog through this friggin' summer that is taking forever. Uh, and the shows are kind of a little bit more random, you know, in the fall for sure. Once football season gets going, once we jump back to five episodes a week, uh, they'll be coming out 5 a.m. generally every single morning throughout the week. Now they're a little bit more scattered when I'm able to get to the show. I get to the show and usually publish it right then and there. It's not as much pre-recording as I do in season when I'm on a, a you know more strict schedule. So subscribing, especially now, uh, will help you get these episodes and make sure you don't miss any of them. Uh, uh, on your daily commute or at work or whenever you are listening to the show. All right, let's uh, let's get into the NCAA and their decision, their new rules for transfers. Okay, so this new transfer situation, this new rule from the NCAA seems to be born out of the last couple of summers, last couple of winters, you know, post-college football season. The uh, transfer market really starts to heat up and, you know, players are flying in and out of the transfer portal. Coaches, you know, Miami has made a freaking living. The University of Miami and Manny Diaz, their new coach there, made a, made his hay completely on the uh, transfer portal this last uh, offseason. And, you know, with all these players transferring, uh, there's just been waiver request after waiver, waiver request, filing hardship waivers, uh, different things to... Uh, try to secure immediate eligibility, right? We know the transfer rule. You transfer to a power school from or Division One school to Division One. You got to sit out a year. Uh, that you know is the NCAA's way of trying to prevent you know college free agency. And with the the waiver situation uh, and, and what was going on with that, I think the NCAA felt that they were inching closer and closer to some sort of freedom of movement for college players. And we know without a doubt, 
anytime the NCAA uh, sees that the the players, especially players in revenue sports, football and basketball, have some sort of freedom, have some sort of equality, some sort of fair treatment, the NCAA moves as quickly as they can to remove that. They have shown time after time that that is their number one goal uh, as it relates to revenue sports is to ensure that players uh, are under their control or are under their grasp. Uh, and there's not any way to refute that. Um, I'm not going to get into that at this point. If you want to uh, you know, talk more about that or, or read more about that, just look at what the NCAA is doing in regards to the new law passed in California that is going to allow players to make money uh, off of their image and their likeness, which is just the most obvious thing ever. Uh, the, the NCAA is threatening to ban the entire state from competing uh, in national championship in NCAA sanctioned events, which uh, would violate antitrust laws, which the NCAA is completely skating on right now. The tax freeze, uh, tax exempt status, all the things that they skate on now that allows them to further enrich uh, their CEOs, their bowl people, uh, all this different members and things like that, instead of serving the true purpose that they are uh, out to serve. Uh, Yeah, uh, that federal antitrust stuff that they try to dabble in and and avoid violating. Yeah, they would be in direct violation of that. So uh, just go read a little bit about that and really read about any of the NCAA's decisions regarding the the welfare of their student athletes and how often students have to protest and cause a stink in the media for the NCAA to absolve even the most obvious situations, just the the dumbest rulings uh, you could ever get come from the NCAA. Anyway, that was a that was a nice little side tangent there. Sorry if you are a big fan of the NCAA. Uh, this may not be the segment for you. Back to the transfer stuff. So players, uh, in order to grant get granted hardship waivers, had to prove uh, this is very vague, right? And that's part of the problem. Uh, that the NCAA has with this is it's very vague the in, in terms of what they need to prove, how they need to prove it, what the burden of proof is, whether it's uh, they're being pushed out, they were suffering, suffering um, mental uh, health uh, issues, like dealing with like maybe a player from Michigan goes and plays in California, is really homesick, not doing well, just suffering from anxiety, depression, things like that, uh, you know, dealing with mental health issues, that sort of thing uh, is grounds for a hardship waiver. Uh, we also know, of course, uh, if you have a sick family member or something and uh, moving closer to them would allow you to be closer to your family, to help in different ways. I think uh, you guys remember D'Anthony Arnett, who's from, I believe, Saginaw, went to Tennessee and then transferred back to Michigan State when I believe it was either his mother or his father. His mother or father was pretty sick, uh, and he was able to be granted immediate eligibility because he uh, you know, had to come home, move closer to home so he could be closer to his family to help take care of things as it related to, to that situation. And so those are some of the reasons that guys can get granted hardship waivers. Um, they can you know, try to prove uh, in Shea Patterson's case, right? That was one that was uh, approved by the NCAA for immediate eligibility. Uh, the school he had committed to, the coach he had committed to and played for a short time, uh, the coach was fired. The school had committed a ton of NCAA violations. Uh, it was not the situation he had committed to, and uh, they were going to be at a huge disadvantage in terms of scholarship situations and just oh, you know, an overturning of the system, upheaval, not a good place, not what he committed to, and they were able to 
prove that to enough of a point that the NCAA granted him immediate eligibility. The, the, the main issue here is that it's super vague. And what it kind of boils down to, I think it was Sonny Dykes who recently said this. Um, and it would make sense for Sonny Dykes to say this because he likes to say things uh, like this, just kind of cut straight through the BS and, and get to the point. Uh, it was basically said, if it wasn't Sonny Dykes, I apologize, but we're going to say, for example, it was Sonny Dykes or a coach like Sonny Dykes in the manner of Sonny Dykes basically said the difference with these hardship situations is if you lawyer up and come at the NCAA with an attorney, they are going to back down every single time and grant you the, the hardship waivers. If you don't, if you just present it through the proper channels and do the normal thing, represent yourself or what have you then it's more up in the air. And basically that is a pretty hard line stance that if you can lawyer up, if you can come at the NCAA with an actual case with someone with a law degree, someone on your team, then you'll be able to play immediately. And that is uh, troubling for a number of reasons. The first and most obvious one is the access to resources, uh, being able to lawyer up to further your football career, be able to make a move that someone who can't do that, uh, who doesn't have the financial means to do that, uh, that is completely unfair for a football player who comes from a poor uh, situation, a background where the family doesn't have much money, a, a background there's much more struggle than someone who's coming from an upper middle, upper class family, uh, which happens all the time in football. Uh, football is wonderful because it, you know there's people from all over the spectrum, politically, economically, skin color, race, uh, ethically, it's starting to expand outside of just Americans. We're getting more and more European players and Asian players and players from Central America. And that's wonderful. But it also means that there are players from wide ranging economic backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, and that ability to present your argument to the NCAA for a hardship waiver with an attorney is something that is not uh, a benefit to everyone. It's not something that is accessible to these players. And they're 19 years old, 20 years old, 18 years old at times. Uh, it's not their responsibility at that age to be earning an income that is enough for them to afford legal representation in a matter like this. Uh, if there's an 18 year old on the street who gets arrested uh, and has just you know, it's the same situation in the justice system. An 18-year-old, 19-year-old who is just getting out of high school, first year in college, gets arrested. Uh, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different resources that they might have are going to drastically differ the type of result they get from the justice system. A poorer person is going to get a public defender who is a new attorney loaded with cases, who is, you know, just doing the, the necessary things, representing them. Uh, and then someone who has more means, whose family, who comes for money, whose family has more money, is going to be able to afford a better attorney, uh, negotiate a better deal, more connections. And unfortunately, that's how things often play out in the justice system. Uh, we're seeing that sort of same thing here, apparently, with the waiver situations. That means uh, money are playing a huge role in who can transfer and sit out a, and not sit out a year and who has to sit out a year. Uh, and not to, it's not a hard line situation, right? Every single case isn't going to be like this, but it's basically, if you want to transfer and your parents have money, you're going to be fine. If you want to transfer and you don't have parents with money, uh, or your parents don't have any money, then you're probably going to have to sit out a year. And that just doesn't seem very fair. Uh, furthermore, the NCAA is doing silly things like requiring a player to provide proof 
that a coach has uh, used uh, abusive language, been physically abusive, uh, used racial slurs, homophobic slurs, uh, proof that they are being forced out, proof that they are not getting uh, a fair opportunity uh, to compete, proof that they are indeed suffering hardship at their at their specific university that would uh, entail them to not having to sit out, right? It's not a transfer of their own making. They are being pushed away. They are being forced out. They are being pushed into a position where they have no other option but to transfer in other schools. Aside from just the obvious stupidity that, like, you got to be able to prove uh, emotional abuse if you want to transfer and not, you know, any sort of freedom of movement or anything like that. Uh, yeah, here's what players now have to do. A player who's fallen out of favor with a coach, a, a player who is verbally abused by a coach, something along those lines. A bad situation for a player is now going to have to get proof and uh, corroboration from the athletic department, the athletic director. Uh, they're going to have to back up the player in order for that player to, and it's not just football. I mean, we care. The NCAA cares more about it in revenue sports uh, because it's pretty obvious, you know, the, the, the players are the revenue. Um, it, it's cared more about in these sports, but a, a kid who's being abused uh, by, uh, by a coach uh, being screamed at uh, in a way that is mentally taxing, racial slurs, homophobic slurs, you know, like now they have to go to someone in the athletic department. That has to be proven out. There has to be some sort of corroboration, and you're asking an institution to side with a player uh, it, it, as opposed to the coach who's being paid millions of dollars, as, a, as opposed to the institution, there have been many cases where a player has spoken out against things. Uh, you can go look up the story of uh, Brenda Tracy, who is a wonderful public speaker who goes around to football programs, talks to them about the story of her rape uh, at the hands of some Oregon State football players, how it was handled, and how football players, you know, it's just... Uh, I don't know, like teaching them different ways what's appropriate, inappropriate behavior. And she's become someone who does the, the camp circuit, who goes and sees teams uh, and, and does that. Her name's Brenda Trace, if you want to read about her. But I was reading a story of how she began doing this and how everything played out for her at Oregon State. And there was a player at Oregon State who uh, knew about the rapes, who was not happy that it happened, was trying to make the people who you know, did the crime, uh, made sure they were held accountable, was not, you know, banded together with a team like, hey, we got to keep this down and, and get this away. We can't screw up the season. There was a person on the team who wanted to help out with the investigation, who wanted to basically get his teammates in trouble for the crimes that they had committed. Uh, and this person was ostracized from the team. This person was beat up by other players. This person was called names. This person was treated very poorly for trying to do the right thing. And you're asking the institution to side with that person in a situation like that, which if we know anything, especially at Michigan State, uh, and that's you know just one place in this sort of stuff, this terrible stuff, this protection of the program happens all over the place for a number of different reasons and not even just in the revenue sports, as we all know. You're asking the institution to publicly support the player as opposed to the program. And that's just not going to happen. That's a vulnerable spot for that player to be put in. That's a spot they shouldn't have to be put in if they're truly suffering uh, whatever you, uh, uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse, if they're truly going through that, <laughs> they shouldn't have to 
uh, prove to you like you should believe a victim before uh, just immediately on the onset and then do fact finding from there just in any case. But like you shouldn't doubt them and say you have to prove it in order for you to be granted this waiver to transfer because you're putting an athletic department, athletic director in a spot that they've shown time after time they are not equipped to handle. They're not going to handle properly. And then if it is granted, say player X says, yeah, coach X, defensive line coach X keeps calling me the N-word and calling me uh, you know, a, a homophobic slur uh, during practice. And that, you know, and that's going to be the hardship waiver cause and it's approved and then it's uh, publicly known that yeah, Coach X is doing this and it's being corroborated by the athletic department and, and now Coach X has to be fired. Um, that's just not a realistic scenario. That's not how these things play out as we have seen time and time and time again. Institutions side with power. They side with the coaches. They side with the the having the most to lose. Who can Who can we not afford to lose the most? Uh, is how these decisions are often made, which is how we get into these situations where terrible things are happening and nobody's talking about it. Uh, and it's just, it's a terrible spot to put in an athlete, aside from the obvious fact that they should be able to transfer whatever they want. They sign a one-year scholarship commitment. They're given a one-year scholarship commitment from the coaches. Those coaches can not renew their scholarship whenever they want. They do it all the time. Uh you're on a one-year deal every single year in college football, uh, especially college football, and you have to prove it every single year to get that scholarship. And if you don't, after a couple of years, you're off scholarship, uh, and you want to blame those kids for trying to seek better situations elsewhere, and everyone just wants to fall back on the cliche to work harder. Uh, and it's not always the case of work ethic. Uh, it's not always the case. Uh, and so if you want players to stick around for four years or five years, sign them to five-year scholarships. Guarantee the scholarship for the entirety of their school work, the entirety of their time at the institution. Guarantee them a roster spot for this so as long as they want to be at the school. That's just not going to happen. And if that's not going to happen, then you need to allow players to change where they want to go. They sign, again, one-year scholarships, one-year deals. If after that one year they say, hey, I don't like this, uh, they should have the right to move elsewhere. Uh, coaches obviously have the right. Uh, coaches sometimes get their institutions paid money to, to be able to move elsewhere. Coaches drop things here, leave halfway through a bowl game. Coaches halfway through recruiting, that doesn't matter the timing. If they're screwing up the entire program, setting it back years, uh, they do it all the freaking time to better themselves. And it's just another example of how the NCAA uh holds this power over its players, especially its revenue players, uh, and you know treats them completely unfairly compared to how they should be treated, just as humans, but also as resources, as the primary money drivers uh, in this system that is built upon the backs of underpaid and pretty much not paid labor. All right, we're going to take a break right there. When we get back, I will talk uh, with Sam Mullen. Uh, our listener of the week. I don't even know. I, don't, I should have thought a name for that, but we'll talk about Sam with some superlatives for the team. Much lighter conversation, much more fun. It's talking about football. Today's show is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there, do that, get rewarded. Today's episode is also brought to you in part by Twillery. Guys, it is 2019 in these days. Shirts shouldn't wrinkle, itch, or sweat. And with Twillery, they don't. 
Tuileries makes stocking up your closet as simple as restocking the beer in your fridge. It is easy, affordable, and you get the perfect fit guaranteed. They offer non-iron, untuckable, and performance dress shirts for as low as $55 each when you bundle four or more. And even better, they have free shipping and returns so you can try on some twills risk-free. You get the shirt sent to your house, you try it on, you say, I love this, and you keep it. But if you don't love it, you send it back, no questions asked. It's a free shot and you're going to love it, so you don't even have to worry about sending it back. You heard me. You can try on Twillery dress shirts completely risk-free. And right now, you can get $25 off your first Twillery purchase by going to Twillery.com slash LockedOn and entering the promo code LockedOn. That's Twillery.com slash LockedOn. Enter the promo code LockedOn, $25 off your first purchase. Just go to the site and check out the shirts. They're freaking sweet. They have so many cool shirts, different styles, different you know summer barbecue shirts, work shirts, golf shirts, all sorts of different awesome shirts. Twillery.com slash lockdown promo code locked on and get $25 off your first order you can get locked on spartans the brand new podcasting app himalaya as well as google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, and spotify and when you get in your car tell your smart device to play podcast locked on spartans all right welcome back to segment two of today's locked on spartans let's get to part one of our interview with sam mullen all right i am pleased to be joined now by sam mullen Sam is our, I think, third uh, listener to join the show here to uh, talk about something that interests him related to Michigan State sports. Sam is a lifelong Michigan State fan, as we were just talking about. You were born into it, Sam, weren't you? 100%. Yeah, my dad uh, ended up graduating from Michigan State in the early 80s. Uh, I think he actually missed uh, Magic Johnson by about, uh, I think, the one year. So the following fall after uh, Michigan State won that national championship, my dad was starting his freshman year. So just missed out on that excitement. Oh, that would have been awesome. I would pick his brain all the time about that if, if he would have been there. Uh, but what we're oh, yeah. talking about here is uh, some superlatives, just some categories here, uh, player in a prove-it year, player that could take a leap and team wildcard for the 2019 football season. Uh, I think there are certainly interesting guys that could be mentioned uh, for all of those. Uh, Sam, let's start with player in a prove-it year. Who uh, are you looking at this year? Who do you have circled as someone that needs to show that they can be uh, a contributing member of this team? Who's in a prove-it year year for you at Michigan State? Well, I think back on a lot of D'Antonio's best teams, and yes, they had good quarterback play, but I think it really came down to strength from the backfield uh, you know, you got your Jeremy Langford, your Le'Veon Bells. Um, so I think they really need uh, a much more stable, consistent play from the backfield. Um, so I guess in my mind, I would say that the guy in a prove-it year is Connor Hayward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mostly say that as I lead into uh, what, we'll, what we'll talk about next. Um, you know, I, I think his, I don't want to say lack of speed, but the fact that he is more of a power back, uh, I think of diminishes his big playability and uh if I, I really see this this team doing well based off of trying to make some big chunk plays especially considering the fact that uh moving it down the field uh, a little by little was definitely not a strength for them last year yeah i, I like that I, i'll be honest my first uh reaction when i saw that was the backfield like the player in a prove it year i just went the whole running back situation because uh, you've got a couple of guys there who got extended run last year and uh, between Jefferson and Hayward because of the LJ Scott injury and they got uh, extended run last year and didn't really, 
you know, neither guy kind of took the reins. They both had moments that were like, hey, there's something here. And then there was moments where it was just it was, you know, running uphill through the mud kind of slug, especially, and you know, the whole offense had that at times. So you don't want to pin it all on them and say, hey, neither of these guys can be the 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 running back on a good offense. Uh, you know, they're just guys. I, I don't think that's the case. I think both of those guys, and then we'll see what happens with Anthony Williams Jr., have some ability. And I'm hoping, you know, scheme change and different things like that, opening up the offense a little bit can help out that. But yeah, my uh, player in a prove it year, so to speak, is the entire just offensive backfield, all the running backs. Uh, we need to see something from, I think, uh, Jefferson and Hayward or else, you know, there, it's going to be, what do the freshmen have? Who are they recruiting next year? They're going to have to try to get somebody in here who can carry the rock, you know, 20 times a game uh, and, and catch the ball out of the backfield and be an effective playmaker back there. If those two uh, just don't prove they have what it takes this year, I think this is really their kind of last shot. And if they don't uh, prove anything this year, I think it could be kind of like a Larry Caper situation where they kind of just get relegated to, uh, a backup role once a, a more talented player kind of steps in and fills that void. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's uh, reminds me a little bit of uh, maybe in a lesser so case, uh, like a Madre London. You know, yeah, as, exactly. As soon as LJ really took off, you know, he, he definitely didn't see the playing time that maybe he mm-hmm. would have gotten anywhere else. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I also thought about uh, some guys on the offensive line when you think about all the, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, freshmen coming in, uh, not to mention just – you know, not knowing what we have uh, across that that line, um, with with the talented freshman coming in, one injury, and uh, you know, I think the, if I remember correctly, there's only one senior expected to start on the line. So you've got four other guys who could potentially lose their spot if you know a guy like Dobbs comes in and just absolutely crushes it. Yeah, really, you could almost say prove it year for everyone on the offense except for the receivers. Uh, seemed pretty well entrenched. And then really with Lewerke being a senior, you don't have prove it years once you're a senior, like this is it kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, right. I'm with you there in terms of the guys on the offensive line. Uh, let's jump to player that could take a leap. Who do you think uh, can take a leap for this team? Well, I've used it uh, my first answer that I think Connor Hayward's in a prove it year because I think – and this is a hunch. I really don't have a lot of it to go off. I do think Ladarius Jefferson takes an absolute leap this year. I know you've talked about in the past that he is a former quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, that they are really just trying to get him into the mold of uh, a full-time running back. And I'm sure uh, that transition cannot be easy. Well, now he's got uh, a full year of playing time under his belt. And I think that you're going to start seeing uh, him look a lot more talented uh, from the backfield uh, in the way that um, at least that wide receiver we saw with, you know, RJ Shelton, it took him a year or two before he really showed how good he can be. And I think that's, uh, you know, you'll see something similar, especially with the speed that Ladarius Jefferson has. Yeah, there's certainly a transition period and you've got a guy in Jefferson who uh, played a bigger role than I'm sure uh, was imagined for him uh, when he first got there at a position. I'm sure he knew, you know, he's not playing quarterback, obviously, at Michigan State. The idea was right. to use him as a running back, but it still takes time. It's not just like learning the plays and things like that. It is taking uh, a handoff from seven yards deep, reading the offensive line, where the hole is developing and things like that. It just takes time. Uh, and there is certainly natural ability there. I, I really like that as a pick, and I hope uh, he you know, does take a leap. I hope he looks more comfortable back there and shows the ability that he has because he's a really talented runner. 
Uh, you just got to get rid of that indecisiveness and stuff like that. For me, uh, I'm also sticking on the offensive side of the ball. Although I think uh, on the other side, I think Josh Butler could be someone who takes a leap with an increased role. Um, I think, you know, some guys on the front, even though, you know, Willikis, we know about, I think Raekwon, even though his stock is high, could be someone that is just an, a dynamite impact player, gets more tackles for a loss this senior year and just dominates. But on the offensive side of the ball, I really um, keep coming back to Speedy Naylor. And I think the big thing we're going to see from him is a role increase. Uh, I think if there are Offensive changes that increase tempo, increase spacing, and things like that. He's the one who stands to benefit the most immediately, uh, and he is a dynamic playmaker. He's, you know, I think he could be the fastest guy we've had. I don't know since maybe Keyshawn Martin. Um, and I'm not talking just straight line forty speed and things like that. It's just like the the shiftiness, the subtle quickness, things like that. He's just a really dynamic playmaker. And if they're doing things to open up the offense more and get guys the ball in space more often. Uh, you know, that is certainly something I like to see and I think could really benefit him. And I think just, you know, another year in with another year of college strength training and things like that, he should add a little bit of weight, uh, have a bigger frame so he can take more hits and be someone who can touch the ball five to seven times a game instead of two to three times a game. Uh, and when you have a playmaker like that, increasing uh, his touches and things like that, it just makes sense to me that he would uh, break out in a big way this year, sort of like Rondell Moore did for Purdue, but he was a true freshman. I, I could see it, uh, an impact like that from Speedy Naylor, where it's just like, wow, this kid is a crazy good playmaker. Uh, so yeah, he's my pick for a guy taking a leap. Yeah, I think when I'm hoping uh, that we'll see some more creativity on the offensive side of the ball and I think two guys, the two guys that we mentioned in Jefferson and Naylor have the most to gain from just trying to find different uh, opportunities just to get the ball in their hands because once they're in space, I think they're absolutely electric. All right, we will be right back with uh, Sam here after the break. We'll finish the show up strong. Remember to get the show every day. Subscribe to Locked on Spartans and the new Himalaya podcast app. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on Spartans. Let's move to our last topic here. Team wildcard. I was like wild cards. Uh, you know, I, I'm defining this as someone who uh, low floor, high ceiling type situation. You're not quite sure what you could get, uh, but could ultimately be the difference between eight and four and 10 and two or, or something like that. Someone who could really bust onto the scene or completely bust out. Uh, who do you have as team wildcard? I think the obvious answer, which is not what I'm going with, is got to be Brian Malerke. Uh, just, <laughs> yeah. you know, we've seen that we've seen the highs and the lows with him, so we know exactly what both ends of that spectrum look like. Uh, I'm going actually on to the coaching staff with Brad Salem here uh, because, uh-huh. as you know, I mentioned in the last answer, I think creativity's got to be huge for this team. I remember watching a game early last year, and. I was looking at the personnel groups that they were sending out, and I knew exactly what they were doing. You know, oh, LJ Scott's in the field. Yeah, they're probably running the ball. Oh, they brought the fullback in. Yeah, they're running the ball. Oh, Cody White and Felton Davis and Stewart are off the field. Uh, well, I wouldn't be scared of them throwing the ball. So, you know, different, uh, different opportunities with trying to work with personnel to run some play action off of getting, getting your fullback in there or, um, or, or not being afraid to throw the ball if you have to sit Cody White for a play or something like that. Um, just something where they, they get more creative. They don't, 
I, I feel like trigger the defense into knowing exactly what they're doing right out of the gate. Uh, I think if they can get something going with that relationship between Salem and Lewerke, uh they can have a very, very special year. And we'll, we'll look back on, on last year and kind of go, yeah, injuries were clearly the reason here. Yeah, I, I like that going off the board there with the coaching staff. Uh, certainly, uh, Lewerke is – I had the exact same thought with Lewerke. Like, well, he's the obvious one. Where else can I go? Um, but, yeah, I think we'll see what kind of offensive mind Brad Salem is. Uh, previous stops would suggest there's something there, somebody who was at one time, you know, doing things that were sort of uh, on the front end of – uh, advancements in terms of play calling and schematics and things like that uh, at his previous stops at Augustana, I think it was Augustana State. Um, so yeah, I'm really intrigued Stanford, to yeah. see see what happens there, and it could, you know, it's something that could totally flame out uh, if it's a, a watered down Michigan State version of something, and it ends up being more archaic uh, than we're hoping. And it's the same story as last year. Just, you know, run the ball up the middle on first down and then run a random jet sweep and just throw in random wrinkles that don't make a whole lot of sense. So, yeah, I like that one for a wild card. I wanted to go a little bit off the board with this one, and I was thinking about it, and I think I'm ultimately going to go with Xavier Henderson. Um, He is the true sophomore who's going to be stepping in the starting role for Kari Willis, and that is just a huge gap to fill. And I think on the Michigan State defense, the hardest spot to be thrust into or the hardest spot to sort of pick up on to be a new starter at is safety. And I actually talked about this a little bit in a previous uh, episode. Actually, I just did the uh, defensive back uh, field breakdown. And I think adjusting to safety is really tough at Michigan State because of the bind you're put in with run uh, responsibilities as a box safety and then playing a deep quarter. It's just tough. And so I think there might be an adjustment period there. We saw it with Monte Nicholson. We saw it with Demetrius Cox. We've seen it with a lot of people back there where they're susceptible to breakdowns, um, you know, huge breakdowns that lead to long touchdowns. It does happen. And it's usually guys who are newer to the role of safety at Michigan State. Now he will be next to Andrew Dowell. And I think together they're going to be a really athletic combo and Xavier Henderson has great pedigree, really highly regarded recruit, and showed flashes last year that he could be a really good player while also having some blown assignments. So I think uh, what will ultimately happen is there will be some of those headaches with him early in, in in the process. You know, there may be a lapse in coverage that leads to a long touchdown and some headaches and things like that. But I'm hopeful that with his talent and the way that defense is coached at Michigan State and the people that are surrounding him, uh, he'll ultimately end up being a really good player for them, but he could be someone, you know, if it doesn't pan out, the, they're really going to be searching for answers at that safety spot uh, opposite of Dowell. And, um, you know, and if it does pan out, you know, you might have the best safety tandem in the entire conference. So it's a really high ceiling there, I think, for them, and, and then a lower floor as well. And that's one spot where Michigan State's got a lot of depth on the defensive side of the ball. They're lacking a little bit at safety depth. So I think Henderson really needs to pan out and be the guy that they think he can be and that a lot of you know, people with hopes uh, on him think he can be. I think he can be a really good player, but you know, there's certainly a downside with a new guy entering the starting lineup as a true sophomore at safety. That's, that's a tough ask for a kid. And we know that with D'Antonio in his past, he's always been very reliant on uh, leaving his secondary up to really make plays for him because he's not afraid to – to bring the house if need be and, and 
uh, not necessarily leave guys on an island, at least at the safety position, definitely at the corner position. But, you know, he's definitely willing to put them in some really, really tough situations, uh, knowing that uh, at some point, maybe not the first time, maybe not the second time, they will get it and they'll end up uh, excelling. Uh, he's always, had, in my mind, done a great job at uh, really developing that, that defensive secondary to, to make them, if they're not great pro prospects, they're certainly high-end uh, college players. Yeah, it's it's truly a baptism by fire in the secondary at Michigan State. You got to go in there and figure it out on the fly. Most guys tend to end up doing it, uh, but if you can't, it's going to lead to bad things, and you're not going to be out there much longer if you can't figure it out for an extended period of time. So, uh, all right, that's going to wrap it us wrap it up for us, Sam. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I really appreciate Definitely. you taking yeah. the uh, the time out to talk to me. Oh, I really enjoyed it, and uh, I really appreciate you uh, opening this opportunity for uh, for all the listeners to really get a shot and uh, and just talk ball with you. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's a it's a plus for both of us because I get to hear a different voice that's not my own. The listeners get to hear a different voice, and you get to come <laughs> on and and chop it up a little bit. So, all right, thanks again for the time, Sam, and we'll catch up with you down the road. All right, appreciate it. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much to Sam for joining the show. It was a lot of fun talking with him. If you want to do that, LockedOnSpartans at gmail.com. Hit me up. Let me know what you want to talk about. We'll figure it out from there, and we will get you on the show. Remember, rate, review, subscribe to the show. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. Go over there. Leave a review, five stars. I was going to say leave a subscribe. That's why I had that weird little audio vocal glitch there. I was going to say, leave a subscribe because I was trying to say two things at once. Leave a nice review. Subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you follow the show on Twitter at on Spartans. Follow me on Twitter at will underscore underscore hunter one out two underscores. We'll be back next week with another rousing week of locked on Spartans. Until then, go green.